live around Australia on SEN, welcome to Off The Tee, talking all things golf with Nick O'Hearn and Sam Hargraves. Ah, yes, indeed. A very good evening to you and welcome to Off The Tee. Big week in golf as it always is. So much to get through and there's been some massive news today in terms of a huge event coming back to Australia, where it's going to be played. We're going to talk all about the big news today, the President's Cup coming back to Victoria. And if you don't know, we will reveal the course at which it will be played. But there's no one better to talk all things golf with than the former world number 16, the only man who's beaten Tiger Woods two out of two times in match play golf. I coined the nickname last week. We're sticking with it this week. Nick 2-0 Hearn. Hello, mate. (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot about that nickname. I love it. Yeah, that's brilliant. No, I'm great. Thanks, Sam. And it was a big weekend in golf, but some fantastic news, as you mentioned, with the President's Cup. Well, we're going to dig into that a little bit later on in the show, but the biggest event that was happening uh, throughout the golfing world was the KPMG Women's PGA Championship in Baldus Roll in New Jersey, and this is how it played out. Is that the winning putt? It just might be. It certainly was. The second major of the year. It did not disappoint. There was seven players in contention going into the final hole, and it was 20-year-old Ruoning Yin from China. Birdies the par 518. Becomes just a second woman from China to win a major after Shan Shan Feng won this event in 2012. Nick, she started the day three shots behind the leader, Ireland's Leona Maguire, and shot a bogey-free four-under, as she did on day one. But the finish, I mean, it was anybody's right up until the final hole, and we thought, geez, there could be up to four players in a playoff here. Yeah, it was exciting. We had uh, that back nine was something something else. There was Yuka Sasso up there, Saganda, the Spaniard, Anna Norquist shot a brilliant round, Megan Kang. Uh, Rose Zhang also had a really good chance there at some point as well, the, the rookie who everyone's talking about. But uh, it was Ronin Yang, sorry, yet Ronin Yin, who, uh, who finished off in style. She missed that last fairway. It's a reachable par five, and she knew on the tee that she needed to make birdie to, uh, to secure her first major championship. And at the age of 20, to come through in the clutch like she did, that was something very, very special. And it's actually her second win this year. Year. It's her second year on tour, and at 20 years of age, uh, the sky's the limit for this young lady because her golf swing is simply stunning. And uh, the way she finished it off, very, very impressive. But as you said, uh, four under past 67. The thing that I, uh, I heard them talk about statistically was she actually hit the last 37 greens in regulation, meaning she hit the, uh, the last green in reg on the Friday, and then on the weekend, she did not miss a green. Now, if you think about that in some context, that is incredible ball striking. And her goal on the Sunday, because she knew she was hitting the ball so well, was just to avoid three putts. And and she did that. And uh, funnily enough, if you avoid three putts and every, hit every green, guess what? You're going to shoot something in the 60s, maybe even lower. And uh, it was a phenomenal effort. Uh, it certainly was. This is what she had to say after the win. When I was on 18T, I just looked at the leaderboard and I saw... Um, I have one shot lead at that time and once I walked down to the fairway and I saw you come make a birdie and I know I have to make birdie at this hole to win the championship and uh, yeah I just told my caddies I said let's just lay up here and uh, try to make birdie and uh, I'm, I'm happy that I did it. 
<laughs> well, I also say you have now $1.5 million. Are you going to still be Shiyu's, uh, are you going to still rent from Shiyu, or do you think you're going to go house hunting now with the 1.5? Hmm. Good question. I'll probably just buy her house. <laughs> uh, so obviously won a lot of hearts uh, and won a lot of fans, especially in the interview afterwards, uh, did this year's women's uh, PGA Championship winning Ronin Yin at 20 years of age from China. So, Nick, she spoke about the fact that on the tee, she had a one-shot lead. Walks down to play the second shot that she hit uh, into the rough, or the second shot from the first that she hit into the rough. Had to make birdie after Spain's Carlotta Segunda birdied the last. Draws level at seven under. Um, compatriot Ziu Lin, who she just spoke about there, is renting her house. She was leading and found the water on 18 and then bogeyed the hole, which opened the door for, for, for Yin. She finds the rough, but then drained that 12-footer to make the birdie. Um, and all she had to do was just wait um, uh, until Leona, uh, no, uh, Steph Meadow, uh, to, who had the chance to make eagle, uh, but skipped hers over the, the, the second shot over the water, and it was done and dusted, but it was a nervous wait for her. She's now number five in the world, goes from 11th to second in the season standings, and is actually behind world number one now, Jin Young Ko. Um, what a performance, 20 years of age. I know, yeah, it's so impressive for someone so young. And if you if you did watch any of the golf for our listeners out there, her golf swing is something world class. Mm. I uh, I had a good look at her earlier in the year at the LA Open when she won there, and I thought, oh wow, that's a fantastic swing. But there are so many good golf swings out there, obviously. But to watch her play uh, over the weekend there at Bolter's Roll, it was she put on a ball striking clinic, as I mentioned, not missing a green and. And, uh, yeah, she's a, certainly a star of the future. The, the fascinating part about it was her caddy. It's only their second week working t- together, and it's her caddy's first time ever working a major. So he's one from one for major championships. He's thinking, how <laughs> easy is this? <laughs> well, speaking of first major championships, you mentioned Rose Zhang, who um, we spoke about last week coming off her first LPGA win in her first LPGA event as a pro. She was in contention right up until a few holes to go and, and finished tied for eight. The mind, Nick, boggles about what might be in store for her. Yeah, and they gave her a lot of coverage, certainly, on that final round. She mm. got within a shot a couple of times on the back nine, but just had a couple of bogeys at the wrong time. But given it's her first major, only a second professional golf tournament, sorry, her first major as a pro, she has played majors before as an mm. amateur, but uh, the way she the way she really held up and stayed strong through that back nine was very, very impressive. She's also got a great caddy on her bag, Jason Gilroyd, who used to had been caddying for Minji Lee the last five years, so he's got a lot of experience. Experience, four majors and 26 wins under his belt. So uh, he'll be guiding Rose in the right direction in the years to come. And if, if he stays on her bag, obviously, because that will be a very, very coveted job. But you can already see the composure and the poise that uh, the young American has. And she's definitely a star of the future. Um, the Aussies, Grace Kim, this is our very own star on the rise. We've had her on this show. If you if you missed out on that chat, you can head onto the SEN website and go to the Off the Tee page and catch up on the podcast from a few weeks ago. And we spoke to Grace Kim. Um, her best ever finish in her third major. Missed the cut at, at the Chevron in April. She finished tied for 14th um, at three under and is now actually the leading Aussie in the season standings in the race to CME. So what a year she's having in her first year on tour. 
Yeah, picked up a nice check, almost 150,000 US dollars and an excellent weekend, 69.69, so four under over the weekend. So her, her uh, progression is just nice and steady. She obviously had that win earlier in the season. And uh, what is she, number 17 on the standings now on the money list. So uh, mm. already in that top 20 and certainly, again, a star of the future. Minji Lee, you know, she finished tied 20th behind Grace Kim there. So she was the second best Aussie. Had a very nice second round, 67, four under, but the Saturday cost her, unfortunately. But, um, you know, a top 20 or a tied 20th for Minji, she'll probably see that as a bit of a disappointment, which is mm. which is always a good sign because, you know, the, the class that she exudes, that's for sure. Uh, got overtaken in the rankings by the winner, Yin, as well. So Minji now six in the world, which is still phenomenal. Um, and Gabby Ruffles was a great story on, on the invite, who's, who's pretty much secured her LPGA card for next year, um, dominating the Epson Tour. Uh, tied for 24th for her. Well, that was a great turnout. It was, and to get the invitation to play was uh, was obviously uh, well justified because of a performance, finishing tied for 24th, had a very good Saturday shot, 68, three under par, and I was looking at uh, some of the payouts, and she almost won for a tied 24th finish, she won uh, 86,000 US, and she's won twice on the Epson Tour this year and has won 96,000 US, so almost almost overtaking her Epson Tour money in one tournament, because this is the biggest event on the women's tour, mm. a $10 million purse, and uh Again, she, she'll be getting more invites to play the LPGA Tour. And given she's wrapped up pretty much her card anyway uh, from the Epson Tour, I think you'll see we'll see more of her on the LPGA Tour this season. Um, Steph Kuriaku tied 61, Hannah Green tied 68, and Sarah Kemp uh, and Carice Davidson missed the cut. Oh, I love what Nelly Corder had to say, Nick, about the trajectory of women's golf, getting to play these historic venues now in, in these um, big major events that have got much more money attached to them now. You spoke about this being a $10 million event. Well, they've got the US Open next month uh, at Pebble Beach. So it, it just goes to show, and maybe it, it's been coming for a while. Maybe it was, well, I wonder if Liv are going to start trying to poach. But it could be a whole range of different factors. Whatever the reason, the the elevation now of, of the women's majors to these heritage um, and premium golf courses and then the money that's being um, attached to them, the results, that finish was as exciting as any uh, that we've seen all year in any tournament, um, and they're delivering in spades. It's, it's a great time in women's golf. Oh, it certainly is, and for them to be playing you know, these types of golf courses, Bolter's Roll is a historic course, had many men's majors, but uh, it was about time we certainly had a, a women's major, and, and also with Pebble Beach in a couple of weeks. I mean, that is... It doesn't get much better than Pebble in the US. It's just one of the most scenic golf courses there is in in the world, to be honest. And and the future for the women's uh, you know sites coming up for all their uh, for, you know for all their majors is is pretty impressive. They're going to be playing some some amazing courses coming up over the years to come. So as as you mentioned with Nelly, that's uh, it's great for women's golf and great for golf in general. We just want to see the best players play at the best venues. Uh, congrats, congratulations too to Jin Young Ko who finished tied for twentieth. Uh, with Minji Lee, uh, she just broke uh, Lorena Ochoa's record for the most times on top of the Rolex rankings, or the most weeks on top. Not consecutively. Ochoa was 158 weeks in a row, but that's the 159th time that Jin Young Ko has been ranked number one in the world. That's extraordinary. Hey, Nick, when we come back, we'll turn our attention to the Travellers because there's a ton of stories to come out of that. We'll talk about the big news of the day, Kingston Heath to host the President's Cup in 2028. That's a big story. Uh, and there's plenty of other things getting around the world of golf that we will touch on as well. The mulligan for this week, Nick's tip of the week, all still to come on Off the Tee. 
live around Australia on SEN, welcome to Off The Tee, talking all things golf with Nick O'Hearn and Sam Hargraves. New England's very own takes the title at the Travellers. Uh, the Travellers at TPC Riverlands, uh, Cromwell, Connecticut in New England. And as you heard there from the best in the business, Jim Nance, the New England native and very popular is the 2011 PGA Championship winner. Keegan Bradley wins his first event of the year, his sixth PGA win, an incredible score of 23 under, three shots clear of Zach Blair and Brian Harmon. Nick Ahern, it was just an incredibly well-played tournament by Keegan Bradley. Uh, he's in the mix early, and um, he was uh, he was fantastic when it mattered most. Yeah, he certainly was. I mean, he's a PGA champion. He won the major back in 2011, so he's won the big event. But outside of the four majors, he pegs this event as the one he wants the most mm. because he's from New England, originally from Vermont and, and that sort of area up there, which I think it has about five or six states in, in New England, as they call it. But uh, for him, it's almost his national open outside the US Open. So he, he you know, the emotion and everything after he won was certainly on his uh, – on his face and, you know, with his family being there, it was it was great to see all the locals get behind him as well. And it's it's one of those events which I've, I've played many times, the TPC Hartford Tournament, the Travellers, and the, the local community just gets so much behind it. And now that it's become one of these designated elevated events, they're in it even more. And it, there's so much drama on the golf course too. It's, it's a short course, you know, only 6,800 yards past 70. Um, the scoring, you know, was at a record pace. I think Keegan Bradley shot 23 under, which beats, uh, uh, who was it, Kenny Perry, I think, had the record at 22 under. So thinking, you know, 72 holes, only going around in 257 strokes. Very, very impressive and, and a great win for Keegan. He's he's a unique golfer, a lot of different mm. mannerisms and ticks that he has, but uh, he, he gets the job done when it's needed. Uh, beautiful scenes, as you say. He's walking down 18, fist pumping the crowd. His sons rush to see him, and he, he does what he needs, needs to do to make pay. He's never in danger. Uh, three shots clear when he's walking down there. But the beautiful moments with his family, as you mentioned, they presented not only him with his trophy, but little replicas for the boys. And uh, this, is, <laughs> this is what he had to say after claiming his sixth PGA title. I um, care to share any uh, text messages you might have got. For. I know you get a lot of support out here from the from the guys out here. But yeah. Any any others that you well, can share? Well, I got, um, of course, Michael Jordan texted me, and that means a lot to me. He's obviously my hero, but also one of my good friends. Timmy Wakefield, uh, Boston Red Sox. Uh, I'm trying to think. Baba Bowie from Howard Stern texted me. That was probably my favorite. Uh, I... I I did a quick scan. I had a couple, two, three hundred texts, and I found, saw that. Aaron Rodgers, uh, that meant a lot, even though he plays for the Jets now. Um, but I'm, I'm, it's such a, it's such a cool, when you get a text from an athlete, it hits different because they know what it goes into doing something like this, and it means a lot. So this is the company that this man keeps. He's a fascinating character, <laughs> Keegan Bradley. You mentioned the quirks. He, he does a bow to his putter every time that he, he makes a birdie or, or, or sinks an important putt or a difficult putt. They pay homage uh, to the putter with a little bow. Um, he name-dropped there to levels that I've never heard uh, after a win, Nick. And, and I was looking around at some videos that, were, um, that have been doing the rounds. He also told a story recently on a podcast not only does he know Michael Jordan, consider him a friend, but he spoke about playing in a basketball pickup match with Michael Jordan and just have a listen to who else. 
Luke Donald. I was like, let's go, let's go shoot some hoops. And so I'm just like, where are you going? We're like, oh, we're just gonna go shoot a little hoops. He goes, oh, okay, I'm not gonna come. Like, All right, it's fine. Sure enough, we convinced him to come. He goes, well, I'm not gonna bring my shoes. And he's just kind of hanging. And then at one point, he looked at one of the guys that worked there. He goes, go back and get my shoes. And so I was like, okay, nice. This is good. Now we're talking. I had to guard Brady, and Brady was going so hard, like too hard. Elbowing me and like hitting me and like going up for rebounds. And I, and I was like, dude, you've got to chill out because if if I do come down and like tear your ACL, I'm never going to be able to go home for Christmas ever again. So he's playing a pickup game of basketball with Luke Donald, Michael Jordan, and Tom Brady. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty impressive company, isn't it? That's not yep. bad at all. Uh, I, it's funny, you know, he, he mentioned uh, Tim Wakefield, uh, who's a Boston Red Sox, a knuckleballer. Mm. I actually played golf with Tim. He's a, he was a lovely guy when he, when he was playing in a celebrity event. And uh, and Tony Romo was another one that I played with, a quarterback. And uh, he, uh, he's he got a lot of game, actually, Tony, but he didn't have a very good day that day. But uh, Aaron Rodgers, he dropped his name, Michael Jordan. That's, that's an impressive little Rolodex he's got going. But <laughs> when you play basketball against Michael, I'm not sure you want to uh, trash talk or anything. Anything like that, and luckily he was guarding Brady and not uh, MJ. <laughs> yeah, I love the fact that he was. It was he didn't want to. In, he didn't want to guard Brady too hard in case he got injured because he was still playing at the Patriots. Now I don't think mm. he'd mind too much. But uh, <laughs> um, getting on, so well done to, to Keegan Bradley. Um, I, I love the fact that he spoke about the fact that it was not being invited to be part of the Delaware delegation last year before the BMW Championship, an event he'd actually won. Um, that was a massive motivator for him. Um, after that, two months later, he won his first event in four years. That was the meeting where all the, the big names got together to discuss the threat of live with a lot of the players who would uh, jump ship. But he, two months later, he wins a Zozo um, and he's been top 10 twice this year. He's had a couple of top 20s. He was just outside the top 20 at the Masters and the PGA. Missed the cut at the US Open last week. And now the talk is, could he be a smoky for the Ryder Cup? Yeah, definitely. He's played. Uh, I think he's played Ryder Cup before, right? He has. Hasn't he? So, um, yeah. yeah. So he he uh, you know he he seems to be a good team man. You know, as I mentioned, he's got some interesting manneris- mannerisms and quirks. But I think he's pretty well liked on tour. Uh, his form's very good. He what did he finish second at Torrey Pines? I think earlier in the year and had a good result maybe at Bay Hill or somewhere like that. But uh, with that win at the Zozo and now this one, you, you've almost yeah he must be close to uh, automatic. I would think on the point list. But uh, it's funny what motivates people, you know, when they don't get invited to certain things or you, you're not seen as one of the best players, as you mentioned, and all of a sudden he's like, right, I'm going to show them. And I'll tell you what, he sure has. So uh, a great win for Keegan. And and uh, it makes, uh, who was it, Zach Johnson's the president's, sorry, the uh, the Ryder Cup captain, makes his uh, you know, picks a little bit more interesting, that's for sure. Um, some of the other stories in and around the event, I mean, not much we can say about Scotty Scheffler, Nick, that, that hasn't been said. He had his 11th top 10 finish this season. Um, he's only been outside the top 10. I went back and had a look at this. He's only been outside the top 10 three times. And those were two 11s and a 12th. Yeah. Nine top 10. Nine of those <laughs> top 10s are top fives. Um, and he's opening round of 63 uh, at this event, at this tournament. At that stage, put him at 203 under for the year, 48 shots better than the next. I mean, he is at another level at the moment, despite he's not winning everything, but he's right in the mix to win everything. Oh, it is scary how how good he's playing from tee to green. I mean, he is streets ahead of everyone as far as uh, ball striking-wise. Um, if he could just put that 
putter and, and just get that going a little bit more. He, he will be winning everything basically. I mean, a bad yeah. result for him is like a third at the moment, like at the, uh, <laughs> uh, what was it, at, 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 at the at the US Open the other week. You thought, oh, he didn't play that great and he finishes third. It was crazy. But he, uh, from tee to green, it was just so impressive again. And uh, I think in his last, what is it, 18 starts now, yeah, you're right, he hasn't finished outside the top 12. I mean, he's had a couple of missed top 10s, the poor guy, but as you mentioned, it was 11th and 12th. So it is crazy the the standard of golf he's playing and he's just taking it to a new level. Uh, yeah, and, and someone else at the moment who who's really after a slow and a sluggish start of the year and obviously – I think mental fatigue was was for a lot of the reasons why Rory McIlroy was finding it uh, difficult. But um, he finished tied for seventh, and I was just having a look and was able to find a bit, a bit of uh, a bit of info in regards to where he's at at the moment. That tied for seventh earned him somewhere in the vicinity of two hundred and fifty thousand US or something along those lines. It's now taking him to third all time on the PGA money earners. That tied for seventh, he overtakes DJ. He's made seventy five point two million US. That's behind Phil's 96.6 and Tiger's 121. <laughs> That's incredible, isn't it? Well, he's probably made, well, at least 10 times more off the golf course than that. So mm. uh, it's scary, the money that's uh, in the game right now. And obviously with Liv coming along and, and the PGA Tour upping their purses, it's just going to get get more and more, that's for sure. But he, he made some interesting comments as well about the golf course and he doesn't really enjoy it when tournaments have that such low scoring, saying that maybe technology's overtaking overtaking some of these shorter courses and he, and he is right in that regard and if they do roll the ball back and you know maybe change the size of the drivers and things like that I think that'll actually work to his advantage so uh, I'd love to see him do it but only time will tell the other person I think I was really uh, encouraged to see have a good week again as someone who hasn't played that well lately is Justin Thomas he finished tied for ninth and I think if he wants to get in that Ryder Cup team he's going to need to hmm. start putting some better performances together and this is certainly a step in the right direction I'm going to ask you about Rory's thoughts uh, a little later in the show um but as we just keep going through the results from the travelers oh by the way in in that um in that top 10 just for those who might be playing along at home adam scott's actually seventh all time you've got to look a little bit further and a little bit deeper to get the full comprehensive list because the pga has taken all the live players off it so it's not actually a correct representation <laughs> on their website of the top 10 all time but adam scott is seventh all time does that surprise you or is that where you thought that he would be jason day's 11th yeah, that sounds about right, I would think. I mean, uh, Scotty's been out there a long time. He's well into his mm. 40s now, isn't he, I think? And uh, just the consistency he's displayed over the years is is incredible. And, I mean, he got off to a great start this week at the Travellers. He had a chance to, you know, shoot the elusive 59, given it's a par 70, but he made a double bogey on 17, unfortunately, but still shot 62 the first round and, and trailed by two shots from Denny McCarthy. So it goes to show that uh, he has some low numbers in him for sure and, and an outstanding Play, but uh, you know, if we're going to go through the Aussies, for instance, Minwoo Lee had another top ten, finishing in tied for ninth as well. So, so that how was, good was he? That was another great performance for him. So you've noticed too, Nick, that they're they're really starting to pay attention to him now. Um, another really solid four days ago. You've spoken a lot about consistency is the key for him. That his bad days just can't be 74s, 75s. They've they've got to only be you know even or one or two over. He's now getting a fair bit of attention. They had him mic'd up on day three. They're they're quite blown away by the, the the club head speed he gets, over 190 for a man his size and the bombs that he's able to drop. They love his mo, they love his Instagram work. Back in Europe now, <laughs> and if he continues his form, he's, he's going to lock in full playing rights. It, it's pretty much a fait accompli um, at the moment based on his DP um, ranking at the moment as it is. 
Yeah, well, I think he's already locked in probably now with the last two results in the US at the US Open and now this one as well. The special tempering membership that he took up, I'm sure he has enough points or money or whatever they take in that regard to uh, have his tour card for next year. But uh, he's a fascinating character and I think, yeah, as you said, they mic'd him up. But then on the final hole, the 72nd hole, he hit a drive, 193 mile per hour ball speed and it was, I think, his longest drive all week. It went 375 yards and it just uh, made that 18th hole look like a bit of a pitch and putt. So it was great to see him get mic'd up. They obviously, uh, you know, worked a bit with the agent there to do that and all the exposure that he's getting in the US, he's certainly someone that they're, uh, they've got their eye on and it's a great story with his sister doing so well on the old PGA Tour as well. Uh, Lucas Herbert has, uh, by his own admission, had a pretty rubbish time of it. That's his own words or words to that effect. He's had a great year when he plays in Europe and, and has won a, a couple over there. Um, but he, he had a really good result here, tied for 15th. Um, Adam Scott was tied for, for 19th, but it was a, he, he had scores of 67, 64, 66, and 68. That's a really solid four days. Yeah, it is for Lucas because he can sort of go a bit up and down at times, shoot the low ones for sure, but the bad ones, a bit like Minji, uh, sorry, uh, Minwoo Lee, can can you know go into the mid seventies as well. So uh, good to see him have nice consistent result there. As you said, uh, Adam Scott tied nineteenth. Uh, Cam Davis had an excellent final round, sixty three mm. seven under to finish tied for thirty third, and and the other Aussie rounding it out was Jason Day. He was nine under for the week, but finished tied for forty fifth. How would you like that, Sam? You have nine under for four days, That's and you're forty fifth. <laughs> All right, we will talk about uh, Rory McIlroy's thoughts. We'll talk about the uh, big story Kingston. By the way, if you missed Lucas Herbert on Off the Tee a couple of weeks ago as well, that is up at the podcast, sen.com.au. When we come back, we'll talk Kingston Heath 2028 President's Cup. We'll get Nick's thoughts on Rory McIlroy's thoughts on the advancement of technology and what needs to be done so that some of the courses like uh, TPC Riverlands uh, doesn't don't become obsolete uh, in the years to come with the advancements that are being made. That's all still to come on Off the Tee. Live around Australia on SEN, welcome to Off The Tee, talking all things golf with Nick O'Hearn and Sam Hargraves. The Melbourne Sandbelt, a place where the President's Cup is right at home. As players, there's nowhere on earth quite like it, where the game feels more like art than science. It's been the backdrop for some of the President's Cup's indelible moments. And in 2028, another memorable chapter will be written. But this time, the spotlight will shine on a different gem in the Great Sandbelt. Mention the words Kingston Heath and the reactions are predictable. Deep respect and a hint of curiosity. This place has withstood the test of the world's best. But for a global audience, there's yet to be a proper introduction. Come 2028, that will all change. Welcome back to Off the Tee, Sam Hargraves, Nick, Two and O'Hearn. Uh, the news, the big news of the day for Ping Golf Equipment so you can play your best is that Kingston Heath, which has been the home of some of the biggest events in Australian golf, will now be host to one of the biggest events in international golf. The 2028 President's Cup, it's the 17th President's Cup, or it will be by that stage, the fourth time it's going to be held in Australia. 98, 2011 and 2019, all at Royal Melbourne. 
Uh, the top 100 has Kingston Heath as the 20th best golf course in the world and the second best in Australia behind, ironically, Royal Melbourne. The state government last year locking in a deal for the PGA to bring the President's Cup back to Victoria for 2028 and for 2040. Nick, this is a, a massive story and maybe a little surprise. Uh, yeah, it is massive, to be honest. Uh, we we kind of knew it was it was coming back at some point, but uh, Raw Melbourne is probably the name that's usually on everyone's lips when you talk mm. about having the President's Cup uh, here in Australia, and it's obviously hosted a few already, but uh, what a coup there for Kingston Heath. It's a wonderful golf course, uh, a magnificent facility, beautiful clubhouse. They've added that short par three nine-hole course called the Furrows. I've played it recently with a good friend of mine, Mark Allen, and we had a blast out there and uh, I can't wait to see how they're all going to handle the the golf course down there. It'll be a a wonderful event. Now you've played in two President's Cups and I know it's two of the prouder moments in your career, 05-07. Just what are your memories of of those two years first and foremost? We love going down memory lane with you. (laughs) Well it's the most nervous I think I've ever been on the first tee. My first one in 2005 when I walked onto the tee, my captains there of Gary Player and Jack Nicklaus and then standing next to them were Presidents Bill Clinton and George Bush Sr. watching me tee off. And I thought, well, I'm not sure I belong here, to be honest. <laughs> it was an incredible event. But the other thing about it was the fact that you know, typically golf is a very much a uni- uh, an individual sport uh, and to have... Uh, 11 other teammates along with you, plus the captains, uh, was a great bonding experience. And, you know, being a member of the international team, it was a little different because we come from all parts of the world, obviously, whereas the Americans come from, you know, the, the one country. So they had a bit of an advantage in that regard. But as we've seen over the last couple of President's Cups, I think uh, the international team is really starting to gel and and uh, Ernie Els did a great job at the last one at Royal Melbourne and, and as did Trevor Immelman at uh, Quail Hollow and I can't wait for the next one and, and especially the one next one on home soil down here uh, at Kingston Heath. What, a, what a, an event it's going to be. Uh, who did you play against in your year? So just that first year, I just want to read out. A, so yeah. you, you mentioned Jack, and then, but in the team that you were playing against, Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, David Toms, Kenny Perry, Chris DeMarco, Jim Furyk, Fred Funk, Stuart Sink, Davis Love the Third. Uh, and Scott Verplank, and uh, they had uh, Justin Leonard and, and Freddie Couples along with them as well. And then you guys uh, with Gary and Ian Baker Finch leading the way, VJ Singh, Retief Goose, and Adam Scott, Angel Cabrera, Tim Clark, Michael Campbell, Stuart Appleby, Mike Weir, yourself, Mark Hensby, another Aussie, and then travelling uh, Peter Lonard and Trevor Immelman. So what? who did you play against first year? Well, that's a good question. Our first match I played uh, with Tim Clark, uh, the South African, myself and him in the alternate shot. We played Phil Mickelson and Chris DeMarco. Unfortunately, they got the best, better of us uh, one up. Uh, but I did win a match with Tim Clark later on. We played against uh, Fred Funk and David Toms. They weren't too happy because we were about seven under through 13 or 14 holes and uh, and whipped their butt, so that was a lot of fun. I uh, also played with Peter Lonard. We took on Davis Love and Kenny Perry and we got the victory there, which was great. Unfortunately, in the singles, Davis Love, I think I shot about three under and he ended up shooting eight under, so he beat me Ooh. pretty comprehensively. So uh, you can't do can't do much against great golf like that, but uh, we we certainly had a great time. That you know we, we only just missed out. I think we missed out by like one point in the end. That was the closest we've come in a very long time. 
Yeah, and uh, the internationals have only ever won uh, on one occasion. I mean, the ledger stands at 12 to 1 and then one that was drawn. So uh, when you think of Kingston Heath, though, Nick, so this is a massive coup. I think uh, I think it did something like over $100 million for the economy when they were here in 2019. It was I was out there broadcasting. It was one of the highlights uh, of my broadcasting career. You know, Tiger in town, and it just had so much to it. And, of course, with what Liv did in Adelaide, I think it, it goes to show that there is such an appetite here for elite-level golf and to have the best players in the world here. And you know they're going to turn up and turn out. But who does the course suit first and foremost, do you think? Well, I, I think we should just put the Kingston Heath pennant team out there. What do you think? I reckon that'd be a great call to <laughs> have them take on the Americans, the local knowledge. But no, it'll uh, – the, 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 the interesting thing about last time when they came down, Ernie Earls and his team, you know, they we, we had some Aussies in there. But uh, I, I really felt we had the home course advantage. But the beauty of uh, how deep the Americans are and how strong they are on paper is the fact that they can adapt – wherever they go. And I think they struggled the first couple of days. Tiger Woods was obviously showing them how to play the golf course because he mm. loves it down here. He loves coming down and playing well, he's these won types at of venues. Heath he's played before, at Kingston. Of course, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So he'll be showing them, you know, I'm sure he'll be some sort of a captain's role in that regard for Tiger, but uh, he'll be telling them how to play the golf course. And and by the end of the week, as we saw at Royal Melbourne, they figured it out and they overtook them. But uh, I think we have the advantage, especially if we're uh, Australian heavy. I'd love to see at least four or five Aussies on that team like I had when I was playing. I was fortunate that we had Lonard and Ogilvie and uh, Hensby on one occasion, Appleby and Allenby and those sorts of players. So we had we had a lot of Aussies. I just unfortunately at the time, and Adam Scott, of course, was another, but uh, I would have loved to have played in, in one down here in Australia, but mm. unfortunately I just missed out. Uh, on on that occasion, but uh, yeah, captain's pick would have been good. I could have played Tiger. I was two and zero. We could have gone for a third. <laughs> See now, who was the captain? Because I think that's just a, a blatant oversight. I think that's just poor planning. <laughs> that's a dereliction of duty. Uh, well, yeah, I'm not sure who the captain was to be honest. But uh, no, I think it's because I hadn't given you time, your nickname I, yet. I, I, <laughs> That's probably what it was, yeah. yeah. Three and Owen Hearn, that doesn't really flow as, as well as two and O'Hearn, right? <laughs> I think you'll take the three. Um, no, so that is, a, that is would, an yeah. absolute coup um, for Australian golf, for Victoria, and for Kingston Heath um, as well. We're going to try and have a chat to someone next week from Kingston Heath. The news only breaking today, so uh, looking forward to keeping this discussion going uh, over the next couple of weeks, and we cannot wait uh, for 2028. I want to ask you, so we, we touched on a little earlier, Nick, about Rory's thoughts on what we saw at TPC Riverland. So Keegan Bradley wins 23 under, uh, and Rory's talking about the golf ball rollback, but talking about technology and the advancements that, that it, it are making. And the, and the fear is that the people are just going to be, the, the players, the men's are going to be too long for a lot of these courses, and it might leave them obsolete. And so there was a, I saw a, a poll that was put up on, um, they're called Three Putt Bogies on Instagram, and they said, what would be the best fix for the PGA avoiding the birdie fest that we just saw? Is it the, the ball rollback, equipment rollback, test new courses, which doesn't help the existing ones, or just leave it how it is and accept that we're going to get low? on some, what, what, Where do you think the solution lies to this? Well, I think there's a combination of factors, and and to be honest, the what they're looking at now, you know, rolling the ball back and and the technology side of things, they're not really too worried. I don't think about the current plays. Yes, they're hitting the ball a mile, but they're worrying about the future. 
because all these players that are in college and playing the Corn Ferry Tour, they're actually a lot longer than the guys on tour. Well, not a lot longer, but they are longer, I think, uh, as, as a general rule. I remember, you know, in, in my book that I wrote, How to Play Your Best Golf, um, on the PGA Tour a few years back, I think about 60 players averaged at 300 yards and over, whereas on the Corn Ferry Tour, about 120 players averaged at 300 yards and over. And then the next generation coming through. So to protect the uh, integrity of the game, I guess that's a word that's used quite a lot uh, in recent uh, times. We, I think something needs to be done. Otherwise, the scoring will get out of control and then they have to trick these golf courses up, which you don't want to see. Also, I think firmness of golf course has a lot to do with it. If you just make the courses firm, you don't need the long rough. You can make it generous off the tee. That's fine. But any firm golf course, you see like a Hilton Head, that's a great example. The, the scoring there is never too low, and yet it's a quite a short, quirky golf course, but it's always pretty firm. And you know that's the advantage we have down here in Australia, I think, especially on the mm. sand belt in Melbourne where the courses are nice and firm and they, they don't tear them up even though they're not that long. So uh, I think a combination of factors, but definitely rolling back the ball and, and reducing the size of the driver head uh, is, is a good starting point. And I'm all for bifurcating the rules. I know that's a bit of a controversial issue, but I don't mind um, you know elite uh, amateurs and the amateur game. You can use whatever you want, but as soon as you turn pro and we get into the big events, well, then you have to move to the pro ball like they do in baseball and, and even tennis they do it a little bit in that regard for they have a you know a slightly softer or a slower ball at some of the big majors over there just to uh, uh, slow the game down a bit because it's just got too power oriented and the other thing too is when you talk about the soft course I mean we talk about it all the time when and you hear it in commentary you know this shot's just about knowing your number well if it's really soft greens players know exactly how far they can hit each and every club uh, when they're swinging it well so with a soft green and a soft course you mentioned, you're going to see a lot of birdies because they know how to land it. And if it's the greens aren't really doing anything other than just plonking, then you're going to see those low scores. But as you said, the challenge down here is on the hard greens. And I remember Tiger speaking about this in 2019 at the President's Cup. He said, we've got to realise that the, the greens here aren't the target. They're the destination, which meant that you can't land. Mm. You, you, you know, you've got to understand how fast and hard the greens are. You can't just plonk it next to the pin. You're going to need to work it up to the pin, especially if you can't get like the spin that you want. And, and so watching players having to sort that out would make things a little tougher. So I, I like what you're saying about making the courses and the greens a little harder so that they're not just soft and, you know, in the end it's darts at a dartboard, isn't it? Oh, it certainly is. But there, there's th certain things you can't control like the weather and uh, like mm. happened at, at, at TPC Hartford sure. on the weekend. They, they got the rain, the course was soft and, and uh, we, we knew low scoring was going to come. But they are just hitting the ball astronomical distances at the moment. And I think, you know, if you... Even if you just add spin to the ball, I think that would be a great thing because then if you have more spin on the ball, it can go offline quicker. Uh, that's one of the biggest things. The ball now, I mean, I have old balls in my garage and I've hit them compared to the modern ball and it's incredible the difference. If you slight miss hit with one, the modern ball now just goes so much straighter than the older one. So just adding spin to it would, would certainly help as well. So your you miss hit shots and your bad ones just go offline a bit more, which then means you won't go quite go at it as hard until you'll... Uh, You'll reduce the distance in that way as well. But there, there are various ways to do it. Uh, Nick, just another, th a couple other things making news this week. So the TGL, this is the Indoor Golf League. It's co-founded by Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy, where they're going to play indoor venues. It'll be um, makeshift uh, part using part technology and part simulators and part um, custom-built uh, golf 
stadiums, essentially, where they're going to combine the two. So live action and then using the simulator as well. Um, earlier on in the year, they announced that um, a, uh, a Los Angeles group headed up by Serena and Venus uh, bought the first two of the six teams scheduled, uh, bought, sorry, the first team scheduled to start playing in next January. Uh, so the, the Williams group, which included Serena's husband, uh, the Reddit co-founder, um, they bought one of these franchises for this experimental league, which is going to have like Woods, McElroy, Rahm, uh, Justin Thomas, all competing in these sort of broadcast events and simulators and the, 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 the arenas that I just mentioned. Well, Fenway Sports Group, um, the owner of the New England, uh, Fenway Sports Group own the Boston Red Sox, Liverpool Football Club, the NHL, uh, Pittsburgh Penguins. They have brought the New England franchise. So we wondered whether this thing would still go ahead. It, it's it's a partnership between uh, Woods, McElroy and the PGA. Um, and with everything that's been happening with the new, I suppose, peace treaty that's been signed between the PIF, the Saudi-backed public investment fund and the PGA and the DP, we were curious about whether this would still be going ahead. But apparently it is. Uh, January next year, it's going to start, and there's already two franchises that have been invested in. Yeah, that's a that's a big coup for them for sure to uh, to get two out of the six bought already. Yeah, I was wondering the same thing whether it would go ahead, but given what's happened with uh, with the PIF, the PGA Tour, and the DP World Tour, and this new new uh, company that's going to exist uh, in the well, although we still don't know any details, who knows if it will go through? To be honest, but it was it was kind of an answer, one of the answers to the Live Golf um, scenario when that came along. Uh, all of a sudden we thought, right, how can we provide more entertainment for the younger crowd and make it a bit more of a, not a video game, but in, in a sense, I guess, that sort of a style where it's uh, on the simulators, have also the, the real putting greens and short game areas. And it's an interesting concept. It's going to be like maybe their version of a 2020 in cricket, mm. uh, but uh, the same sort of thing for golf. And it'll uh, have to contend with something like, you know, Monday night football in the US, but I'm sure they'll do it on different uh, on different nights or, or different dates to not compete with them but uh well it'll be fun to see how it all goes ahead for sure uh so it's gonna be i mean esports meeting live sports i think it's actually gonna go gangbusters i I think it's gonna be massive um i can't wait to see it uh, the very first event of it um and just quickly the players all met ahead of uh this week's event nothing has really come out of it adam scott the chair of the players council just said they're still waiting to find out uh the anger has subsided a little but they're just waiting to see how this is all going to play out the peace deal that's been struck um When we come back, uh, we'll go through what's coming up this week uh, in the world of golf. And um, I just want to tell you exactly how Liv are going to set up for next year and how their season is going to finish out ahead of their next event at uh, Real Club Valderrama in Spain. We'll do the mulligan, next tip of the week, and we'll wrap up another edition of Off the Tee. That was all the latest news for Ping Golf Equipment. Ping Golf Equipment, custom engineered, custom fit, and custom built for you to play your best. Live around Australia on SEN, welcome to Off The Tee, talking all things golf with Nick O'Hearn and Sam Hargraves. Uh, Still a fair bit to get through, Nick, before we finish up this evening. Um, What's on this week? We always like to sort of give a a little look ahead to the golf action that we could all be enjoying this weekend. Uh, A week off for the LPGA as they get set for the US Open at Pebble Beach, but the PGA is heading to Detroit, the Detroit Golf Club, and the Rocket Mortgage Classic, Nick. I don't know if you saw the images, but they've just had a severe storm pass through there, and it has wreaked havoc on the setup. It's knocking things over left, right. Sort of similar to, was it day two or day three of the Masters this year? 
Oh wow, I didn't know about that. Yeah, no, that's that's not great for the tournament. Cam Smith has won around there too. Sorry, not Cam Smith, Cam Davis. Mm. Getting my cams mixed up, but uh, he'll be looking forward to a good event around there. But hopefully, hopefully they get that course uh, up and ready. No, that'll be uh, devastating if it uh, if the storms are that bad. I haven't kept up with it, unfortunately. Uh, now, Liv, they're back uh, playing after a little bit of a, a break. So they're at Rail Club Valderrama in Spain. I don't know if you saw this, but We've often sort of one of the criticisms of of Liv has been well, there's no consequence for not playing well because they they play 54 holes, no cut. Um, they've released an explanation of how they are going to manage their roster moving into next year. So they're still forging ahead, Nick. Like 2024, Greg Norman saying 2024 is happening. Um, DJ Dustin Johnson says he believes that they're playing next year, and and all the guys that are associated believe that they're going to be playing. Um, their live tournament next year. So we're still waiting for the details of the uh, the, the peace treaty deal. It's not a merger. Um, the financial or the uh, <laughs> what, what are we what are we calling it? The financial arrangement or the anyway the 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 commercial arrangement between uh, all three. Yeah. Now, how this will work this year? The league standings explained. There are three different categories, the lock zone, the open zone, and the drop zone, Nick. So the players finishing in the top 24, they secure their spot for Live Golf for next season. The asterisk to that is that team captains are exempt from relegation. So just hold on to that thought for a moment. The players finishing in positions 25 to 54 face potential trade from their team. So they they are going to organise a trade period so that you can trade players in and out of your team, which I think they did a bit of at the end of last year, or you can be released by your team. Now, the players finishing 45th or below are are relegated out of the league, and these players qualify for the league's promotions tournament. They can earn their spot back for next season. So I was just having a look through uh, some of the players and where they stand. So Cam Smith's inside the top four, so he's fine. Um, but when you look at well, he's a captain as well, and so. he's a captain, so he's fine. But when you look at the uh, outside the top twenty-four, uh, Henrik Stenson, Joaquin Neiman, Bryson DeChambeau, uh, he's a captain. Bubba Watson, um, Charles Schwartzel. Uh, so there's uh, Mark Leishman's thirty-sixth at the moment as well. Phil Mickelson's thirty-ninth. So all these guys uh, could possibly be traded. Now Jed Morgan is actually forty-fourth, so he's right on the drop zone. And we'll have to try and maintain mm. a, a, a pretty good standard of golf so that he doesn't get uh, kicked out completely and have to play his way back in. Yeah, well, I also heard a while ago players that signed multi-year contracts uh, weren't going to get released either. Like a Graham McDowell at the moment, he's 38. Uh, I'm pretty sure he signed a multi-year contract. I'm sure Mark Leishman did as well at 36, so I can't see them... Uh, you know, being released or anything like that. Mm. So uh, I think it's more for those guys that are in the bottom four, basically, from 45 onwards. But as it turns out, two of those are captains anyway, Lee Westwood and Martin Keimer. So they're not going anywhere. So I'm not sure. It's still a pretty (laughs) – yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, Jed Morgan can hang in there. He's at forty fourth position, as you said. The one guy who has who's had a pretty awful season is Siwoo Kim. He's almost finished mm. last in every event, so he'll he'll definitely probably get dropped out unless he does something over these last six or seven events. You said they're playing Valderrama this week. It's a, a wonderful course there in the Costa del Sol. I've played there many times. Uh, back in the day and uh, when I was playing European Tour. It's a very funky golf course. You can hit the fairway and still have no shot to the green. So it's uh, it's quite a venue. But uh, I can tell you this, the Rioja wine there is fabulous. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, that's a very good recommendation. Um, so I, I do like the idea, though, and I am intrigued, and it might just be the, the, the AFL background in me, but I like the idea of teams trading. I think that is something that if if you are if they are going to maintain um, the, the the three tours in their current form for the next year or two, just while they sort out whatever this deal is and however this deal looks, that is something that is completely unique, obviously, to live. And I think that can, is something that can generate a, a bit of interest. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, at the moment it's sort of almost had a bit of a country feel, hasn't it, where we've got uh, the English playing together, the Aussies playing together. Uh, I think we had a Japanese team for a while, but um, but they uh, they ended up uh, not existing anymore. We've got a South African team. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how those trades go as to who, who goes where for sure. Are we going to bring an American into the Aussie team or something like that if uh, if Jed Morgan gets released, for instance? Or uh, will, you, will you take an Englishman over to... Uh, you know, over to a German team or something like that. So who knows how popular some of these moves will be, but it's uh, it's certainly a unique part of the, the live tour and what they have going on. But again, it's all a bit up in the air. We, we still don't know if there will be a tour next year. They're certainly going to finish out this season by the looks of it. Uh, each week we like to hand out a mulligan for someone who could have really used it during the week. If only a mulligan was actually allowed in the world of golf, who would have most liked one? And uh, have you got one for us this week, Nick, or is the, could the, the honour be with me? Uh, well, I know you have one. I, I'm going to go with this one. If you watch the LPGA tournament, uh, on the final hole, we saw Ronan Ying or have the lead, and there was one player who could catch her, Stephanie Meadows, standing back in the fairway. She had a three-wood into the green. If she makes eagle, she can tie for the lead and go into a playoff, and she basically hit a cold top. But the fortunate thing was it skimmed the water and, uh, and got through, ended up being in the rough, so she made a par, but I'm sure she would love to have that one back. I'm going to give mine to Adam Scott, not because nothing got sorted out at the players' meeting that he was chairing <laughs> in regards to the uh, <laughs> the economic arrangement or whatever we're still calling it, the uh, the peace treaty. Um, no, the 17th hole, round one uh, at the Travellers, nine under. He's, he's on 53 through 16 holes. If he can birdie the last two, he gets under 60. Uh, 59 was absolutely on the cards, his lowest ever score, that magical number. He found the water. With his second shot, uh, it ended any chance. He did birdie the last, by the way. Look, he might say that the eagle putt on 15 that missed or the bogey on seven, but we'll give him a mulligan for hitting his second into the water on 17 and that magical number continuing to elude Scotty. Nick, before we finish up this week, your tip for Mizuno Golf, hashtag nothing feels like a Mizuno. And we've got an email for you, uh, off the tee at sen.com.au. Uh, it's from Brendan in Sandringham. Plays the local Sandy Links down there. He said, I love my golf. I play every single week. Love the show. I am absolutely struggling in the wet. We've had a lot of rain in Melbourne at the moment, Nick. And, and Brendan says that he's adding 10 extra shots a week when he plays in the rain because nothing's going to stop him going out, uh, he's saying. So your tips for playing in the wet. What's the number one thing you need to remember? 10 extra shots. Wow. Well, number one thing is to uh, is to keep those clubs dry, that's for sure. So take extra towels for sure. Uh, that's always uh, a handy thing. Uh, have an umbrella with you, obviously. There are a few different things in the wet that you can do. Buy rain gloves as well, so just in case. And, and what I mean by that is they make golf clubs these days uh, where you can uh, wear gloves on both hands and the wetter they get, the stickier they get so your hands don't slip. That's a real key to it. Also, when you tee off, make sure your driver face 
is dry because if that face gets wet, the ball tends to shoot off in any direction. So make sure you keep that driver face as dry as you possibly can. And also hitting into greens, take an extra club because the ball won't go as far in the wet. So multiple tips there on that one. Nick, you're an absolute star. Nick, 2-0 Hearn. His tip of the week, Mizuno Golf. Find your nearest stockist or fitter at mizunogolf.com slash au. Mate, great show. We'll speak to you next week. Awesome. Thanks, Sam. Uh, that's it from us from Off The Tee. Remember, off the tee at sen.com.au. We'll catch you next week. <laughs>